Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Scummy Mummies Podcast. Okay, hello and welcome to the Scummy Mummies Podcast. It's me, Helen Thorne. And it's me, Ellie Gibson. And today we are joined by... Now, let me check your name, Steen. Great. And today we are joined by Peggy Orenstein. Welcome. Thank you very much. She's flown all the way from New York just for us. Is that right? Yeah. Is that right? And boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're in the UK, aren't you, to do, you know, uh-huh. various things. Do stuff. Do stuff. Because you've written a book, Peggy. I have. What's your book? Girls and Sex, Navigating the Complicated New Landscape. Ooh, I like. And it's a New York Times bestseller. Number four. Wow. I got way up there. We don't have any old person on this podcast. We only have people of quality such as yourself. So thank you for joining. Well, numbers one to three said no. No, I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding, of course. Of course, because Peggy, you're a massive deal. Not only have you written a book, you've written numerous books. As you said, you're a writer for the New York Times. You've written for the LA Times, Vogue, Elle, Time. A lot of publications with the word time in, mm. in the title yeah. but most exciting for me oh the oprah magazine <gasps> peggy did you Is get to meet oprah oh no she doesn't she's not there at the magazine she doesn't no. do what? The, i thought she was doing the desktop publishing you know no. i thought she was cutting and pasting no, just in the know. font size sorry. oh you've ruined it no. I'm sorry. oh well but your name yes i met her she's my best friend and i go to her house for dinner every night oh great get does that make podcast. you feel better yeah, yeah. <laughs> If we do the reverse racism, every time someone finds out I'm Australian, like, oh, do you know Kylie? Do you know Nicole Kidman? I don't even know who that is, Kylie. (laughs) Get out. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, Peggy. Welcome to the podcast. Now, before we get into the book chat, please tell us about your family. Oh, what do you want to know about them? What? What's the? I have no idea. What's the the constituent parts? What are the constituent parts? I have a husband, um, and uh, who's a documentary filmmaker, and I have a 13-year-old daughter. Okay, so you're like you're just entering the teen years with the yes <laughs> long pause. <laughs> I wish, listener, you could see Peggy's face. It's it's hissy is the only way I can describe it. So, um, has having a daughter and having a daughter who's going into teenagerness has that is that what inspired you to write this book, Girls and Sex? Oh yeah, I mean the the book that I wrote, my book before this was called Cinderella Ate My Daughter, and it was looking at how the um, that kind of pink and pretty and sparkly girly girl princess industrial complex culture uh, was was um, 
teaching girls that how they looked was more important than who they were. Mm. And it was sort of the process of, of sexualization, of imposing this, you know, that, that onto girls. And so it seemed kind of natural coming out of that um, to be curious about sexuality. And then on top of that, you know, she was getting to be a little older and my friends with older kids were telling me about, uh, you know, sexting and binge drinking and hookup culture. And I don't know about you. And also their kids are up to all sorts. Right. And what, who knows what their kids are up to? You know, my, my reaction as a parent was to kind of want to plug my ears and go, don't tell me, don't tell me. Because I feel that parenting from ignorance and fear is usually the best strategy. Yes. Oh, yeah. Right. Right? Yeah. I'm the daughter of a vicar and a vicar's wife. And they're, they're, they just, Prayed that I'd be a virgin, basically. And, and that, what well, that worked really I know. well. Yeah, that totally all, all five worked. of us are big whore bags, so you oh, know. Well, there you yeah. go. I yeah. think Richard Dawkins is listening to this because it's just going to reinforce that belief system <laughs> right away. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. so yeah, so, so that was part of it. And then the other piece of it for me was that this um, conversation about. Um, uh, sexual assault and consent had kind of burst onto it was bursting onto the scene, and you know, it's such an important conversation, so important. You know, con- consent and understanding the ground rules so important. At the same time, kind of a low bar for a sexual experience. You know, I was not raped, mm-hmm. and so I wanted to really know what was happening, what the quality of the experience was, what the attitudes were, what the expectations were for girls after yes and what kind of you know guidance and support they needed from us so how did you sort of embark on the research how did you i guess know who to talk to well first i lay on the ground and cried for a while because it just seemed way overwhelming to me yeah um but uh no i you know i i found i wanted to talk to girls i talked i talked to 70 about in the end Mm -hmm. um and they were from a kind of broad ethnic spectrum but they were all either uh, college bound or in college mm-hmm. and I chose that group because um, I wanted to talk to the girls that we think of as having opportunities and I wanted to talk to girls that we thought of as being you know, the primary beneficiaries of feminism because I thought if even those girls who were you know, so bright so ambitious, so um, privileged educationally leaning in, right? all over yeah. the place um, if even they were toppling in their personal lives then we couldn't deny that there was a problem sometimes it was really Random. There's a girl in there that um, there's a chapter about uh, virginity, and there's a girl that kind of frames that chapter who grew up in a um, town that um, is that's known for being um, the like the evangelical Vatican. It's called in the United mm-hmm. States, and where you know abstinence until marriage is just everybody says that. And I found her because she emailed me randomly because she had read some article that I had written, and she wanted to meet me. Um, to talk about the article. Normally I would kind of say, no, I'm too busy for that. But I thought, who knows, maybe she'll be interesting. That's why I emailed Oprah the other day. Exactly. Exactly. I said to Oprah, Oprah (laughs) said I always take those opportunities. (laughs) She said, thanks, Peg. (laughs) Did she say, say, that's a light bulb moment for me? Did she say it in that accent as well? It's exactly like how Oprah said it. Yes. So you met up, presumably, with this this girl. Yes, I did. Yeah. (laughs) What are you talking about? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so I met her, and, and we were talking about the work, and I just slipped in that I was doing this book, and she said, oh, well, maybe you'd be interested in my story, because she had gone from growing up in this, you know, really hermetic culture where uh, where she was told, you know, she would go to hell if she, you know, kissed a boy, to coming to an extremely liberal state 
college. And it was just really very admirable and, and sort of testing out her environment. And I use that as a frame to talk about virginity and to, um, which, and to question the notion of virginity as being first intercourse, because that was one thing I really wanted to do with this book was, you know, d- we define sex so narrowly as being intercourse. And the truth is, is that kids aren't having more intercourse and they're not having it at younger ages, but they are doing other things more. Mm. And when we don't include those in our definition of sex, it opens the door to disrespect and to risk and to this kind of silence that disadvantages girls. Mm. And is it true the thing that, um, that a lot of kids, they're not having vaginal sex because that's considered sex, but they're having anal sex because that's considered you're still a virgin if you've just done it up the bum? Yes, and. I mean, I would say that the definitely rates of anal sex have, have, have risen. Um, I think not just because of that, but I think because of its prevalence in porn. Mm. Um, and th- there was a British study, actually, that showed uh, that was looking at um, high school kids, kids 16 to 18, which is very, very young. Mm. Uh, and it found that um, generally it was boys who were pushing for anal sex. And they were doing Shocker. it. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> what a surprise. But they were doing it not as a, as a, as a way to share intimacy, but as a, as a competition with other boys. And that they thought that girls would have to be and could be coerced into it. Mm. And both the, the and the girls said that it was painful. Mm. Uh, again, shocker, right? Mm. But what was interesting was that both the boys and the girls blamed that on the girls, saying that they were naive or flawed or inexperienced and couldn't relax. Mm. So I thought that was really, you know, really interesting. But the but but even so, it's still relatively uncommon anal sex what what is super common um is oral sex that's been the biggest change in the tw- in tw- the 20th century was that oral sex became less intimate than vaginal sex if it goes female to male reading reading a book that was what i was quite blown away with i think is that ha ha um is that you know in one of the book part of the book you say girls were using it to say good night because they knew that's what the oh. boys well that's you know that's that was what a, a, a somebody in a newspaper said i didn't right. say you that. didn't say that but no. what what was true was that what girls would say to me over and over like they'd all read the same um instruction manual yeah uh, was it's no big deal when they were talking about female to male oral sex, and it was no, and, and they would do it for a lot of reasons. They would say, you know, um, it's a way to take to to um, show that you like somebody. It was a way to gain popularity. It was a way to go further without having intercourse. Um, they were worried that if they had intercourse, they would, you know, that what the kids would say is catch feelings, like it was, you know, gonorrhea or something. Oh my god! Um, and. Uh, they would, uh, and, and they would say it was imp- it wasn't it was impersonal, which I was like I don't know, penis in my mouth, kind of personal. Yeah. Um, but and, and sometimes they would use it because they were feeling that they uh, were in a in a dicey situation and they could get out of having intercourse by giving head, basically. Mm. Um, but I heard so many stories of girls giving one side. It was one of the things that really I had to adjust to. When I was, you know, when I first started hearing that, I was, I, I would betray shock, and that was not a good thing as a journalist. But I would hear so many stories about it that I started saying to girls, you know, what if every time you were with a guy, he told you to get him a glass of water from the kitchen, and he never got you a glass of water, or if he did, it was like, <sighs> you want me to, uh, you know, you know, like really mm. begrudging. You wouldn't stand for it. You know, like I said, these were girls who were very, you know, gung-ho feminist girls. And 
they would laugh when I said that. And they'd say, well, when you put it that way, mm. you know, and I'd be like, well, why wouldn't you put it that way? Why would you think that performing a sex act is less insulting than being told to go get somebody a glass of water from the kitchen without reciprocity? Because mm. I, I suppose the other side of the argument might be, isn't it a good thing that women and girls are more sexually confident and they're exploring their bodies and sexuality? And but they're not. Right. I don't think giving somebody a blowjob is exploring your body or they're exploring your sexuality. Well, yeah. Right? And that's what it comes bosses. down to. So yeah. they felt like they could uh, engage sexually, but they didn't feel like they could, en- that they could enjoy it. And I, I find it kind of strange. I mean, as a woman in late 30s, I sort of feel like I have more opportunities. I think the world's getting better. But then when I was reading your book, I was You're shagging loads of people, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Orgasms are plenty. Yeah, yeah. And and I just thought, gosh, it is just so, you know, if, if we had to watch porn as kids, you would have to go to the video store or get an old, or an older person to go and get you a VHS copy, rewind it, you know, yeah. like, and it wasn't so accessible. And also the, the fact that there are all these girls like, from 11 or whatever shaving their vagina or waxing their vagina. <laughs> they just, like, combine, like, three things. I know, I know, sorry. Okay, so, okay, let's, let's, yeah. let's rewind a second. Sorry, there are all, all these things. That's things all right. We'll, we'll I'm all that. Thank so, you, Peggy. You're, you're much more of a professional than I am. <laughs> I'm just ranting. I'm ranting. But I would get like that. I totally get it. People ask me all the time, you know, how did how did we get from where we were in you know whatever the late early seventies or whatever it was to here? I don't really have an answer to that, except I think it was a combination of when we stopped saying "don't," we didn't replace it with anything Mm -hmm. like an ethical framework mm-hmm. we just stopped talking about it. we've got a super sexualized media we had the AIDS crisis that you know told a whole generation that sex was death and traumatized everybody so that that stopped talking about it we had a lot of right wing government and you know all that so you oh, back thank God against... there's no more right wing people in politics anymore no. a few <laughs> I know God knows we don't have them in the United States oh. not a one you guys are so Ooh. liberal you hear a lot that internet porn is, is blamed yeah. a lot I mean do you think that is a big I think it's I think that the internet has been a game changer and, and you were talking I mean I'm before VHS so when I was a kid you had to actually get a magazine things didn't move and with every iteration of porn it's become more um, explicit and more violent that accessibility has really changed things and, and it is seeping into kids sexual scripts so we talked about anal sex being one thing I mean on, an, on another um, uh, more sort of G-rated level girls would say to me all the time my boyfriend wants to know why I don't make those noises that women make in porn when we have sex. I know. You we're, on the, we're on a podcast, what? so you can't see the face that was just made. Yeah, and there's also no um, saxophone playing in the background. Yeah. It doesn't mean it less hot. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I said. So the, and the dishwasher's not even broken. I know. So I would just like, I would, yeah. You know, so yeah. I had to be careful not yeah. to make faces like you just made. Sorry. Right? And, <laughs> no, it's funny, but you, know, I mean, you can see, right? Like, yeah. I'd have to go, hmm. Oh. And, but I, would, I did feel after hearing that multiple times mm. that I had to respond. And I said, you know, it's a movie. <coughs> and in a movie, there has to be a soundtrack. <coughs> yeah. Otherwise, it's a silent movie. Yeah. So they have to make those noises so that there's like a soundtrack because there's no dialogue. You know, they yeah. go... Oh, you know, and so so there was just like ways, and but so that's really concerning. So it does, yeah, it yeah. is influencing kids' sexual scripts, and it's another area where women's sexuality is a performance for male pleasure, right? Mm. And where where often you know it's humiliating, often it's degrading. Women are always ready; they are multi-orgasmic, like you know, right away. They just yeah. want to have inter, you know, whatever. It's it's an unreal. But but here's the thing, though: it's not just 
porn, I think, because the aesthetic of porn has so seeped into the overarching yeah. aesthetic of pop culture mm. that you, it's hard to tell the difference sometimes now. Yeah. And that even something really benign, like one night my daughter and I were watching the movie Brooklyn. Did you, did you see Brooklyn? It's a totally good movie. Totally fine. Great movie. Go see it. But it has a very typical sex scene. Which is they like kiss for three seconds, they rip off their clothes, they jump into bed, they apparently have intercourse, and then it's over and everybody's happy, mm-hmm. right? And it suddenly struck me that she's going to see more of those scenes mm. than she is porn, probably. Yeah. And I said, you know, honey, you know how like when somebody takes a cab ride in a movie, they show them getting into the cab, and then they show them getting out of the cab? But they don't show the whole ride in between. Yeah. Because that would take up the whole movie. Sex is similar. I'd, well, you know, I, I remember Top Gun was my favourite film mm. for a long time. It being the best film of all time. I think we can all agree on that. So, yeah, yeah growing up, I thought sex was like, yeah, you, you'd like go to the dimming it room, yeah. bit of wafty white curtains, right. bit of take my breath away, right. and then bomber jacket. Tom Cruise right. leaves you a nice post-it. I right. thought that's what it was, you know. Yeah, I, I didn't know a lot of things before I read your book. Like bukaki and oh. ass to mouth. That sounds lovely. Mm. Ass to mouth. Um, so thanks for the education. DVDA. Do you know what that is? No. no. Don't want to know, mate. You don't want to. Oh know. yes, I do. It's about two dicks in two oh, holes. Yeah, that's a big. Yeah. In one hole. Oh, it was actually the intermediary <laughs> platform between DVD and Blu-ray. But good guess. Good guess. <laughs> Thank uh, you, Kelly. <laughs> But yeah, that's. I mean, in a nutshell, I, I just sort of found that like girls have to be black, bald. Black, black, black. They have to look oh, yeah, perfect. The they have to wear short skirts. They have to have great tits. And all boys have to do is unzip their trousers. Like, <laughs> that is it. Like, you know, and, and it is all on us. And, and none about our pleasure. None about, mm, yeah. you know, us getting amazing cunnilingus, you know, and and being sex ready all the time. Right. And, and the, the thing is, though, that girls, it wasn't just that boys weren't willing. Girls didn't want it. Mm-hmm. Girls did not want boys going down on them because they had learned. I mean, you talk, girls would talk all the time about, you know, um, the, if they fit the right mold, you know, I'm proud of my body, I want to show it off. But then, you know, the confidence came off with the clothes. So they didn't want, uh, they would talk about their genitals like they were simultaneously sacred and icky. And the whole business of, of shaving all their, or waxing, whatever they were doing to get rid of all their pubic hair, it kind of reminded me of um, the 20s which was when flapper fashions came in and women first started shaving their armpits and legs, which I think people probably also found creepy at the time, mm. you know, and infantilizing. But it, it, was, it happened because it was the first time that women's limbs were um, publicly visible. And so suddenly they were open to scrutiny and judgment. And I think that there's a way that the pubic hair removal, which girls always would say, I do for myself, as if... <laughs> You oh, know, yeah. like if you were on a desert island with a razor, that's how you'd spend your time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love I love putting lava hot wax on my I bed. Know, it's so oh, fun. Yeah. But it's yeah. not just about porn either. I think you say this in the book. It's also about Christianity and the abstinence movement. And how, yeah. how's that playing in? Um, well, you know, that's been an utter disaster in the United States. Abstinence-only education, on which we've spent, I believe, one hundred and seventy billion dollars. Um, could have just given everyone a video of Top Gun for that, really. I know, I mean, right? Or, you know, what, that's highway to the danger zone. Anal sex. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. Playing, playing with the boys. I mean, the whole soundtrack. Oh, it's sexy. You really know the whole thing. Oh, I, that's right, yeah. I just know the... Take my breast away. <laughs> you look a bit like yeah. the lady from that Kelly McGillis. Kelly McGillis. Yeah. That's so nice. Oh. 
Um, are you flirting with me? I, I don't know Oprah, but I do know Kelly McGillis' ex-boyfriend. Oh! Oh, so Tom Cruise. You know Tom Cruise. Well, oh my uh, God, she knows Tom Cruise. You know, I know Oprah. It was another guy in the movie. She was dating a different guy was in the movie. Was she? Was it Goose? I don't know what his name was in the movie. His name's Barry Tubb. I love how this is turning into a Top Gun podcast. I do apologize. Yeah, yeah because you're hosting it. Because <laughs> it's about sex. And that's a, wait, you just asked me something. Sorry, you did ask you about abstinence. Oh, abstinence. Yeah, yeah. we've got well, to talk about Top Gun. So, yeah. yes, it was a total waste of time, total waste of money. Uh, did not... It, it, it did not have any... In, in, sta- in, play, in states that still have abstinence-only education, you have far higher rates of disease and pregnancy. Um, but what I did as part of the book, too, was uh, I went to uh, a purity ball. I don't know if you've been to a purity ball. No, but it sounds like my cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, the girls all wear white gowns and the fathers wear tuxedos. It was like a wedding. Um, we, we have a thing in Australia called the debutante ball. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah, yeah. So I did That's the same up. thing as a cotillion. Yeah, so when yeah. I was 16, I dressed up as a bride, yeah. was presented by the Catholic vicar yeah. to the community. Yeah, just like that. Yeah. Like a, like a human sacrifice, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And then everyone clapped us yeah. and, and celebrated. And then you danced. Yeah. yeah. And then I'd like dry hump my boyfriend. No, you're not supposed to do that. No, I wasn't. But it was <laughs> yeah. lovely. But in a purity ball, you're certainly not supposed to. No, so no, the purity no. ball, they take <laughs> vows to remain abstinent until they enter into a biblical marriage. I'm not sure what's biblical about it. And the, and the fathers vow to um, uh, cover and guide their daughters. And it was weird, for sure. I mean, it's, you know, it certainly was, wouldn't be what I would do but the one thing that did strike me and it was interesting because there was a there was a german television crew there too and and i got into a conversation with the german um uh tv person about it who was also a woman and she said is it weird that i'm kind of moved by this and i said you know i am too and i thought about it and i thought it was the only time in all of my reporting all my travels i didn't like what they were saying but it was fathers who were affirming their daughters and talking to them about their expectations and ideas around sex. Mm-hmm. And in the world that I came from, the secular world, when I asked girls what their fathers had talked to them about, they would just say, they would just laugh and say nothing, or they'd say, oh, they just make lame jokes. So there was this expression of love for their daughters at that moment of transition to womanhood that was really beautiful, even though the content of that expression was highly objectionable and mm. counterproductive because we know that those kids don't, in fact, abstain. No, they go and dry hunt their boyfriend. Exactly. Well, yeah. they, 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 they maybe become sexually after a very short time after other kids, but they get pregnant at higher rates and they have higher rates of disease because they're in a kind of denial, I think. So they hold off a bit longer, but then they go right at it yeah. and they're off. And that's it. Yeah. And also, there's that, that pressure to get into marriage, which is not, right. uh, which we all know is not a it's, good thing. It's and dreadful. The other really oh, oh, ends in misery. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing is that 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 girls from the community that the, the the biggest predictor of a community having a high divorce rate in the United States is a high percentage of evangelical Christians. Yeah. And I think that that has to do with. Uh, with that, with that, you get married in order to have sex, which is not the right reason to get married. I know quite a lot of people who get married so they can stop having sex. <laughs> <laughs> that works too. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good, it's a good trick. Yeah. So How many we, children you have? You had it that many times. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Got two children. One of them was a turkey baster. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. <laughs> so, so in a nutshell, things are, things are quite bleak, aren't they? Well, you know, yes and no. I think one thing, and we, I, one of the things that's been really amazing was I just had no, I mean, it sounds self-serving to say I didn't, you know, I didn't know how big this book was going to be, but it has gone so beyond my expectations, and, and the audience has the audience in the US has been so hungry to have this conversation it's been incredible you know the the consent conversation that really girls begin and girls have been engaging in online is starting to move over to okay we have consent now what mm. um so i i really see a cultural shift happening and i believe in the it's it reminds me of um you know, like like the food movement. You know, like I mean, I'm from California, so everything reminds me of the food movement. But um, <laughs> but you know, if I had said to you 20 years ago, "Hey, what do you think about free range chickens?" You'd just look at me like I was mad, right? Mm-hmm. You know, what's a free range chicken? Mm-hmm. But I'm from Southeast London, so I'd still do that, to be honest. Oh, well, okay, yeah. well, right. but, but so not everybody. But, <laughs> but you know, I mean, now what's wrong with KFC? The whole, you know, the, you can't you can't throw a rock without hitting something organic or sustainable or whatever, and that really. Did. So I really believe in the possibility of the conversation mm-hmm. to to make things better, and I also you know talk about cultures at the end of the book that are better. Which we so, yeah, I mean, you mentioned there. So is, is there a different culture for lesbians and for girls growing up, going out with other girls? No, basically? not at all. Really? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was genuinely surprised. <laughs> I've never, in, in the three years I've been doing this podcast, no one's done that to Ellie Gibson before. <laughs> Fuck. I need to be lesbians be nicer. I just... I just that teach me to be heteronormative. I have to keep myself amused. <laughs> Yeah, the, you know the, that was really interesting. That the, what I the two one of the things that girls um, in same sex uh, couplings taught me was first of all the orgasm gap disappears. So young women tend to be more than young men. They measure their own pleasure by their partner's satisfaction. Mm-hmm. So they say if they're straight, they'll say if he had a good time, then I had a good time. Whereas boys are more likely than girls to measure their satisfaction by 
their satisfaction. Mm. So like if I came, I had a good time. You know? yeah. So that holds true though when girls are partnered with girls. They're invested in the other person's pleasure. They all, again, would say the same thing. To, to get off the script and to make a, um, a, a encounter that felt good to them. And the other piece was that gay girls really challenged the idea of virginity as defined by heterosexual intercourse. And again, not because intercourse isn't a big deal. Of course, it's a big deal, but it's not the only big deal. And so I asked one of the girls that I met how she knew she wasn't a virgin anymore because she'd never had heterosexual sex. And she said, yeah, you know, I wondered about that too. And so I Googled it. Um, Google didn't know. And uh, it failed her. And so she said she decided she wasn't a virgin anymore when she'd had an orgasm, her first orgasm with a partner. And I just thought, like, wow. Mm. You know, what if that, just for a second, we mm. thought that was the definition. It would totally shift how we understand sexuality, and it makes it into something that's more about a pool of experiences that mm. involve sensuality and arousal and affection and warmth and touch and all these things, as opposed to this race to a goal. And one thing that I talk about when I do talk to young people is say, just think about it for a second. Who's really more experienced? The person who, oh, I get to use a British word, the person who has snogged a partner for um, the last three hours and experimented with communication and sensuality and give and take, or the person who got, you know, wasted at a party and hooked up with a random to get rid of their virginity before they went to college. And I found that weird. I remember having, I've been to see sort of thing, I had an argument with two friends about 10 years ago. One was a woman, one was a man. They said that for them, sex was much less, I'm talking about vaginal penetrative sex, but that was much less intimate for them than snogging. But sex, that's just nothing, that's just forever. And I was like, really? Because I feel the completely opposite, like the penis is, is I'm not going to say better than a tongue, but it's, it's more, it's more penisy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to describe. Do you You're agree with me? Absolutely you? correct. A penis is more penisy, Ellie. Um, no. That's the classic thing that they say about sex workers, right? That they'll they'll they won't kiss on the mouth. I've exactly. seen Pretty Woman. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. We're just doing all the films today. We're just doing all the hits. Pretty Woman. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> We're going to end with Still Magnolias and yes. cry. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think that's true, and and just that you know kissing and you can feel a sense of closeness but yeah i guess if you're you're fucking you could be detached but you can't because you are attached i got an email recently from uh i get a lot of emails from girls but one of the girls want, thought i should have included um demisexuality is yeah. that what you just fancy demi more <laughs> <laughs> Again, wait, what can we sing? What can we sing? What's that? Yeah, they, um, no, in 90s movie. Demisexual is somebody who is only interested in sex if they are um, romantically attracted to somebody, if they like the person. They only want to have sex with people that they like. Wow, (laughs) I thought that was. I know. Right? Sex. I know. I'm a demisexual. I know. I've got a label. I know. I know. Put that on Instagram. I know. I know. But I thought that was. I I might be white and middle class, but I'm a demisexual. I know. You got a thing. I'm going to go on a rally. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I want to laugh at her. But you know, I was. I did kind of look and go. I would have called that that's it or that I yeah. would have called that sex. and girls would say to me a lot like like it was a flaw in them that they couldn't have emotionless sex um, and, and, and that you know that really was an issue mm. 
Well, look, I feel, let, can we move, let's have some practical chat, I think, because yeah. we've talked about the problems and some yes. of the stuff's going on. Very concerned about having two boys and how do I teach them how to be respectful of women and how to basically not do all the things you've just talked about. <laughs> like, what's, what's the way, when do you start with that? Well, I'm writing a boy, I'm just going to start writing a boy book, so if you just hang on. Oh, thank God. Can you hurry for up? For a few years. It'll be right ready, right about when your kids are that age. Brilliant. So I'll just have that for you. Thanks, Peggy. That's, right. Thank you, Peggy. Well, that, if you could dedicate good? it to Charlie and Joe, that'd be okay. lovely. That's, that's it. it. I don't have sons, so I'd be happy to. Um, <laughs> Write that down, Elise. You know, I mean, ideally, I think you start from the get-go. Ideally, you start by... I, I mean, one of the things that I talk about in the book is um, this idea of the psychological clitoridectomy that we give girls. And that we tend to, uh, when we have children, we'll tend to name all of boys' body parts. So you'll at least say, you know, here's your willy, something like that. And with girls, you go right from navel to knees, and we leave that whole middle part unnamed, which makes it unspeakable. Mm. And then in puberty classes, they see that thing that looks like a steer's head, and it grays out between the legs and you never say vulva and you never say clitoris and um you know fewer than half of girls masturbate and then you know then they go into a a partnered encounter and we somehow expect it's going to be they'll be able to express their wants and needs and it's really not realistic so i think you do have to start from the get-go naming it Um, so so the proper name so the proper name you go for penis Vulva. Vulva, clitoris, you know, all the hits. You know how mm. how preschoolers are always masturbating. You know, you say, yeah. you know, it feels really good when you when you rub your vulva, but we don't do it at the Christmas table in front of grandma. That's something that we do, you know, privately. Yeah. You know, sort of like in, encouraging um, understanding and, and just, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, for me, I think my daughter was like 11 then maybe. I said, hey, Days, do you know what my book's about? And she... She said no, not that she cares, but no. And I said, well, it's about girls and sex. And she said, oh, that seems like a good idea. And I said, you think so? And she said, yeah, I think that's a really good idea. And I said, did you know that a lot of people, a lot of girls, are never told what their where their clitoris is and what it's for? And she just went, mom, can we stop talking about your book now? <laughs> but you know the, what we did with the main, the most popular puberty book in the U.S does have the external genitalia, has labia, blah, blah, blah. Doesn't label the clitoris. Just ignores its existence. Wow. Just not there. And I thought, why? It's like, why? It is like metaphorical female yes. genital mutilation. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You'll be fine on Woman's Hour tomorrow, by the way. Be, <laughs> they love talking about that. We always talk about girls having female role models and reading books about girls. Boys need to, too. And you need to kind of challenge the things that they're watching. Not say, you know, you shouldn't watch that, but... I mean, you know, on the girl side, when my daughter was little, I used to say, gee, you know, I, I, Cinderella's really neat, but I, have you ever noticed that her eyes are bigger than her wrist? Because my eyes aren't bigger than my wrist. Are mm. yours? And, what, you know, why do you think they make her eyes bigger than her wrist? Why do you think they make her eyes bigger than her waist? You know, or just sort of bringing up some of these ideas so that you teach your kids to be critical consumers. You've got to talk to your sons about porn, and you've got to do it by the t- before they're 12 years old. Really? Yeah. Wow. Because so how do you start if that you, conversation? If you if your kids' friends have iPhones, right? All one of them has to do is go, "Hey, look at this!" Boom, porn. But I think you just have to start talking about them. You know, mm. you have to say, "Has anybody shown you pornography? Do you know what pornography is? It's you know, it's 
it, you know, it's really oh, mom, shut up. It's, it's, so it's yeah. really too bad, too bad. You know, yeah. it's, it's you need to hear this. It's really normal to be curious about sex. I totally understand that. Mm. Um, but the things that you that people might show you or that you might look up online are not real. Just like you know, the violence in the movies that you see is not mm. real. What's more is they're trying to get a really big response from you, so they keep getting more and more. Just like you know, in movies, the violence gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm. It gets bigger and bigger, and it, you know, it affects your what you're attracted to and how you respond to things and you know help them understand the commercial the commercial aspects the, the profit making aspects mm. of porn and how that affects arousal response ability to connect all of that and nobody's talking to them about it we've just we've just not and i really feel like parents need to Go to um, a site like Pornhub. I don't mean to advertise porn. No, because that's what I'm yeah. you, know, you have to actually go look because otherwise you might be thinking about, like, you know, the Playboys you saw when you were a kid or the VHS you saw when you were a yeah. kid. And it's not the same, and you need to see what your children can see. You can't ignore it no, anymore. No, you can't. And as I've been yeah. talking to boys, too, they, you know, they tell me, I mean, it's, you can get any, it's not just like anything you can imagine, it's all the things that you never wanted to imagine that you can get Yuck. out there. And they start watching it, and they have to put on this pose. I'm now getting to my boy book stuff, but boys use the word hilarious a lot. And I think they use it as a distancing mechanism. Like, you show them something really dehumanizing and disgusting um, that's, you know, on on a porn site, and they go, that's hilarious. And I think, that is not... Hmm. No, the, that is not the normal response, and I think that they use and that's that. not even what that's designed to elicit. No, yeah. and I don't even think it's their response. I think that they learn that as boys, they have to not feel. And, and also the whole um, area of sexting and WhatsApp and all those sort of. Um, I think you say in the book about girls being pressured to send yeah. photos of their boobs, and then boys threatening girls saying. If you don't send it to me, I'll do something bad or right. kill myself. And that's actually you know, that, that comes from yeah. British research too. Oh, right. yeah. yeah. There was a there was British research that um, they found that actually equal numbers, equal percentages of boys and girls in high school um, and middle school um, sexed voluntarily. Mm-hmm. But when it's not voluntary, um, it's way disproportionate that that girls are pressured into it. They reported being more distressed by being coerced into sexting than coerced into actual sexual acts. Mm. Um, So basically, talk to your kids about sex early Early and often. Early and often. And, mm. yeah, call, and call the penis the penis. You can call the penis What the penis. if, like, my five-year-old, you call it the penis, but he just runs around the house going, Peanuts! Look at my peanuts! I know, my daughter used to, when she was three, she one day was r- running down the main street of Berkeley going, Vagina, 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 vagina. <laughs> well, well I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. But, you know, the other thing... Um, that I that I looked at that I just wanted to throw out there was the was the was comparing with the Dutch. It's always like the Dutch or the love the Dutch. Right? Oh, they this is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so relaxed. Plus, they have good Indonesian food. Yeah, um, pancakes. Yeah, oh. I know. But anyway, they they went a really different way after the sexual revolution, and they they really tried to. Um, work with kids and educate kids around sexuality. So there was a study that I looked at that was comparing 300 randomly chosen girls from American and Dutch, you know, similar demographic girls from American and Dutch universities talking about their early sexual experience. And the Dutch embodied everything we say we want. You know, mm. fewer pregnancies, less disease, less drunkenness, more positive consequences like knowing your partner really well, mm. being able to you know tell your partner what you want and what you don't want having a pancake having a pancake all of that yes Um, getting some indonesian food (laughs) 
they um, wearing wooden shoes. Exactly. <laughs> they uh, and what they said was that their parents, teachers, and doctors talked to them from an early age about um, sex, sexual pleasure, and the importance of mutual trust. And they said, particularly parents, American parents were not so much less comfortable talking about sex. They talked to their kids, but they they only talked about risk and danger. The Dutch um, parents talked about uh, balancing responsibility and joy. And as a parent myself, I think I would have thought I was being really progressive if I talked to my daughter about contraception, about disease prevention, mm. and about consent, because I'm you know, truly modern. But, and I would have thought, oh, you know, well done, Peggy. Mm. You know, now I know that that's not enough. It's really not enough. So in a nutshell, we're all moving to the Netherlands. That's what we're saying. We're all buying That's the shoes. only way. That's it's right. Go way. to the Netherlands. Eat gouda. Carve out a clog. Yeah. Off. Done. Great. Nutshells. We right. sold everything. We didn't have to talk for all that time. Yes. <laughs> Done. Girls and right. move to the Netherlands. Okay. Excellent. And give head to women. Yeah. <laughs> that is a great tip. Now, we always like to round off the podcast, Peggy, with scummy mummy confessions. Um, Do you want me to tick yeah, off? Yeah, if you've got one, go for it. Uh, yeah, so, so the other day um, I bought a new bra and I, I was writing an article about boobs and how they change. So I went to a bra shop and I said, can you take a photo of before and after? Anyway, I was walking down the street looking at a photo of myself with my new bra on. And then I thought, oh, I must go and pay for the coffee uh, at the coffee shop. So I go in and I put my money down. I put my phone down Amazing. at the same time. I said, I just need to pay for the coffee. But what I did was I showed them a picture of me. <laughs> I think you'll find this will pay for the latte. Yeah. <laughs> Two pounds, sir. Peggy, do you have a scummy mummy confession you'd like to share? You know, I actually, I was just talking about this. I I really blew it over um, Barbie. You know, I had the whole, I don't know if you you had the, should I Barbie or should I not Barbie? Yeah. Yeah. So we were in Target, which has like, you know, the the giant gleaming toy aisle. And um, I had gone off to find something and my husband and daughter, he gave her this, crap fairy topia barbie and she walks out and there's like why would you give her that we don't you know i don't want her to have that and i took it and then she started to cry and then i started to like give it back to her we'll get her we'll get you a nice barbie honey not this crappy you know she was crying so then i gave it to her and then i started to cry and then in the end i gave her the dumb barbie Barbie. she comes with a little bonfire and a bra look at well i got her a katniss everdeen barbie amazing yeah but it was just like a dis- I was just sitting there and crying I, I'm just like constantly I, I live my life uh, in a series of contradictions with oh. my daughter it's amazing that she functions <laughs> well <laughs> thank you Peggy thank you for that very honest confession yes. loved it yeah I think that's about it Helen it is thank you so much now buy Peggy's brilliant yes. oh yeah that's why we're here Brilliant. and Catlin Moran has recommended it the, yes, the UK are. legend have you met Catlin yes she's great isn't she she's is great I pretend like I know yeah. where I just well uh, Catlin and Oprah and I were <laughs> wait I have a question yeah. Yeah. so we're having dinner at Kelly McGuinness's my, house my, we're having dinner with Kelly McGuinness and her ex-boyfriend um, my, my friends on Facebook um, I put the British cover up and they felt it was super sexual do you see it that way that they said they thought that they were like, whoa, that ampersand is hot. It, uh, yeah, I don't see know, it. I don't see any. They color. were like, that is like the sluttiest ampersand. I don't know what. I'm more of an like. exclamation mark girl yeah. myself. But yeah. So like when you get the book, 
all of you who are listening, get the book, look at the ampersand, and tweet me and tell me if you think it looks hot or not. Or have a wank, depending <laughs> yeah. on how you feel about <laughs> it. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Do follow us on the social media at Scummy Mummies. That's right. Where and also subscribe to the podcast. Give us a review, preferably five stars. Yeah. And, uh, and we'll be doing lots more live shows across the UK. So yeah. look at our live shows tab on our website. Scummymummies.com. Well, that's about it. Thank you so much, Peggy. Thank you for being a great guest. This was the most fun. Thank you. Aww. Thank I'll you. Tell, In your I'll, face, I'll, woman's hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that. You haven't done woman's hour yet. To be fair. Oh, amazing. We love woman's hour. We do. Yes, a we lot. Do. We do. Please have us on again. Um, Thanks, James. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Until next time, bye! I have never been so humiliated in my life, so it was really good. Can you stop laughing, please? Oh, we're, we're still recording. recording. We're still recording. Uh, that <laughs> so was okay. We, we've just been, we've just been right. um, podcast bombed by uh, Peggy's <laughs> publisher. Anyway, thanks, Kate. <laughs> I think she just thought as we were laughing. Yeah. <laughs> Kate, do you like anal? Kate? <laughs> Kate, do you like anal? Do you? You come in now. You want to be on the podcast? Be on the podcast. <laughs> come on. Come and sit down. Oh, she's gone. What a shocker. Anyway... <laughs> Back to the chat. Uh, yes. <laughs> so just like Oprah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.